Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to Chumbacasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. more people. So then what I need just tends to just 
okay, I'll deal with me later. So it's getting to that stage where I'm actually asking myself, how much later are you going to delay your day, right? Well, today is Valentine's Day, but I thought I'd, I'd bring some important information to you about why Native women are dying in childbirth. I guess by now most of us have seen the news stories that women uh, in America are dying in childbirth at an alarming rate, something that we thought we had fixed and had rested since the 1950s. We are a first world country. We are the number one developed country in the world, supposedly. And because our population is so large in our, our uh, developed countries, most countries are developed countries have much smaller populations than ours. This is why sometimes when they're coding statistics, it's important to put that into context. You have to contextualize it because our population is large for a developed country. The fact that we are able to take care of most of our citizens is remarkable because not only are we big geographically, but we are able to provide basically the same standard of living to most of our population across the board. The next country that is equally as large in terms of population and size is Russia. And we know outside of St. Petersburg, everybody else kind of just live in a Siberia kind of land. And even within St. Petersburg, the area is very, it's consumed by oligarchy. You know, it's very rich, extreme poverty. People live without heat in extremely, in, in extreme situations. That happens. So, but here in America, we're able to provide for our population resources. So we've become accustomed then to expecting almost to the point where we're driven by our own expectations that we expect at all times that we can provide all the services that our population needs, right? It's, it's an expectation that we have. And so when we come across things that don't add up, we kind of like tap ourselves on the shoulder, sort of like saying, hey, America, where are we going with this? Hey, America, we kind of missed the boat because we have such high expectations of ourselves. When you look at us, you know, we're a nation of over 363 million people right now, right? Spread out across this wide area. We have one state that is not joined to us, Hawaii, right? But here we are, and we have uh, all these folks that we provide services. So when we look at the composition of our population, we tend to look at it through the lens of most of us can afford to live, we can provide resources. So those who we should, who are most vulnerable, those are the ones that we should focus on. There's nothing wrong with that. It's kind of for our own check and balance, right? We're a great group of people, right? We, we have issues, but we're trying to fix them. We're family, right? No matter what our color is, we're still family, right? We still look at ourselves. You know how you know this is true? Check this out. You go to another country. Right, and you recognize that while you're visiting that country, you're in the minority. Everybody, because it's not an, it's not America. And you start looking around, and you start identifying those you think are Americans. And it doesn't matter what you look like, as long as you identify as Americans when you're overseas. Suddenly, you have an affinity because you recognize you have something in common. Well, we should take that and keep that at all times. We love our country. And we love what it does, and we want it to remain great, okay? Uh, I myself, uh, I can't begin to tell you, don't, don't, if you, if you want to mess me up, start playing the Star Spangled Banner. I kid you not. I go nuts. I just start crying. I can't begin to tell you what that means. You have no idea what that means, right? So when we look at 
at our population and we look at certain parts of our population that are more vulnerable, we have to ask ourselves, did we miss the boat here? Are we missing the boat? Hey, everybody, thanks for joining me. It's, it's Friday and it's Valentine's Day, and I know you're all like taking time out or spending time with your Valentine. Look at us, fluttering our eyelashes and everything. Yeah? Aren't you all happy? <laughs> right? <laughs> and, and what are you going to do? By the way, let me just ask you this before I ask you into this. What are you all going to do later? Who's going out to dinner? Right? And who's going to do the do after dinner? Right? I saw somebody posted something on, on my Twitter feed. I've seen people post on social media where their neighbor has been having sex all morning. And I said to myself, seriously, that's something you're going to post about them? And people were just like, hey, it's Valentine's Day. They're supposed to be doing that. And I was like, absolutely. And they, they kind of get a heads up on it. You know what I mean? They kind of get a heads up on, on, on this, what they're supposed to be doing. So take it easy, y'all. Take it easy. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Right? So we're talking about Native women, uh, Native and Indigenous women. Indigenous implies that these are people born to a specific area who are localized to that area, right? That's what it means. It means that they're native to this area. This is where they originate, right? Sometimes uh, other groups of people like African-Americans sometimes think that they're indigenous, but I want to make the clarification that African-Americans are not indigenous to America. African-Americans would be indigenous to part of Africa. That's what indigenous means. You originate from that area, right? Uh, so Native and Indigenous women are dying in childbirth. I, I'm going to give you some background to this. About five years ago now, no, six years now, uh, an OBGYN, an obstetrics and gynecologist here in the metro Detroit area, brought to my attention that uh, too many women were dying in childbirth. And I, I, you know, I actually, he's a doctor and people are respected, but I actually said to him, you're lying. I'm like, across 
affiliation with people in other areas, so they share data. That's one thing with doctors. They share information, right? They're working on something. They share it. They collaborate and so on. So at the time, in order for him to, at the time I was on uh, radio in Cincinnati and Covington, Kentucky, and uh, Detroit, and so in order for him to come on my radio, my syndicated radio show to talk about it, uh, he had to obtain permission from his employees. Guess what? They did not give it to him. They did not want him to come and talk about the rate of, of, of women of color dying in their facility in childhood. And one day he called me because he had just lost a patient, and it was very painful. And he said it was preventable. Imagine that. You and I look at that as final, but he saw that as preventable. And he said it could have been prevented if the medical facility where the woman had gone to check in, he had left explicit instructions that when, if she were to call in, she was due for delivery, she had been coming to the clinic, and he knew all of her condition. He expected she would be delivered shortly, right? And he uh, thought that he left instructions that if she shows up at the clinic, he is to be notified immediately. Well, she did show up at the clinic, and they did not notify him. While she was writhing in agony in the emergency room, lying on a bed waiting to deliver, they ignored her. They simply ignored that she wasn't feeling well. By the time they notified him, she was there for two to three hours, uh, a time frame, a significant time frame. By the time he was notified, it was 2 o'clock in the morning. He had to leave home to go back to the hospital. By the time he got there and started attending to her, she was already in pulmonary, uh, uh, what do you call that, pulmonary uh, uh, distress. She died. And the because of lack of oxygen, the baby subsequently died. And he yelled at the, the, the attending doctor because he did leave instructions that she was supposed, he was supposed to be notified. When they decided to talk to him about it, he said that was it. It was enough. He left. He retired. He said, I don't need this anymore. I've been talking about this for years, and I don't need this. He said this was preventable. So when he said it was implicit bias that was a contributing factor, I began to wonder, this is not unique. I had to examine myself. Have I been subjected to implicit bias in healthcare? And I had to start asking people around me, well, I couldn't get a medical doctor to come and talk about it. I couldn't get anybody. And I started to research if anybody else was having the same issues and I noticed that over time, a groundswell of it. So I had begun talking about it. I had written a blog about it. I began talking about it on social media. So people started to come forward and started giving their stories in different parts of the country because people's awareness popped out because it was happening to people whom you know. And uh, when it started happening, it, it's a thing. So NBC News did this story recently. And it's interesting to know because this has been going on for some time. You've all heard of the tennis player Serena Williams, right? She had a similar thing. Serena Williams is wealthy. We, we can admit she's famous. She went into the hospital to have a baby, 
and she was complaining. She she had a pre-existing condition, a pulmonary disorder. So when she started complaining that she wasn't breathing right and she wasn't feeling well, the nurse ignored her. When the doctor came in, she pointed it out. They said, no, it was something to do with the circulation in your leg. When she tried to, when she did tell them that that was what caused it, she had to yell for them to get the doctor to attend to her. Then her, she's married to a white guy, her husband. She called him, and he showed up. And then they took the whole thing. If the doctor had not been done attending to her, she could have died in childbirth. So when that happened, she spoke out. And when she spoke out, then all of a sudden, everybody started to give their stories about all these young women, despite the fact that they have insurance, despite the fact that they can provide for their child, they were dying. People are dying in childbirth for reasons that have nothing else to do, not because they are, you know, far from a hospital or they died. You remember back in the day? My grandmother had a stillbirth because they were they never had the babies were born at home. The midwives had to attend. So there was no proper prenatal care like we know it today, where you go in once a month and then when you get to a certain stage, by the time you get to the third trimester, you're going in twice per month, they measure your belly, they listen to the sounds the baby's making to see if the baby's growing at the rate that it's supposed to go. What they're doing is making sure it's in order to have a life birth and to have a safe delivery. Do you see what I'm saying? A safe delivery for both mother and child. It's paramount, right? So why are indigenous women, native and indigenous women, well, there's a thing called implicit bias. So I want to be careful. I want to make sure that we all understand what implicit bias is. So I wrote this definition down. Implicit bias is unconscious stereotypes that everyone has. So... You can tell it's written by people who don't want to say, well, we all sort of are racist in a way. But implicit bias are unconscious stereotypes that we have. When used in healthcare, though, in healthcare settings, can lower the quality of care based on our perceptions of people, of their gender, of their race, their ethnicity, and socioeconomic status. That's what implicit bias is. It's unconscious stereotypes that we all have. So whether we know it or not, we've been socialized as people to look at others and to figure out, well, are they good or bad? Are they uh, healthy or not? Do you know what I mean? And so based on those unconscious stereotypes, we, we have these predisposed, pre-conceptions pre, uh, of people or perceptions of people that I hate because we tend to put people in a box. And so when we see people, we attribute to them those preconceptions that usually invalidate the person and are incorrect. So we have these on their unconscious because we don't realize that when we are interacting with people, we're acting it out. Have you ever seen a group of people shake hands with another group of people and then they wipe their hands on their, 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 their clothing? But they don't even realize that they just had an unconscious stereotype that the person, based on appearance, you have done the person to be dirty or unclean, so you're wiping your hands off, right? You've all seen that. Well, that's an unconscious stereotype. That's implicit bias. So what we're finding is that even though Native and Indigenous women have access to 
cheer and have what is called proximity because you're near a maternal center or you're near a center that provides medical care or health care does not mean that you have access to good care. Access to care would be reading and wiping away stereotypes, wouldn't it? But just because you have proximity to care does not mean you have access to care. So in the story, this woman is a real person. She signed up with NBC or NBC to follow her journey from pregnancy to childbirth. Well, what she didn't know, and no one could have predicted, was that she would become the story. While NBC was interviewing her, waiting on her to give birth, guess what? She died in childbirth. Isn't that the most, I mean, that was just so earth-shaking. I'm pretty sure the NBC writer who wrote the story had to seek uh, therapy afterwards, even though as a journalist you're not supposed to be in, in emotionally invested. Well, good luck for a human being, right? Can you imagine? She died in childbirth. She died in childbirth because when you look at it, implicit bias played a role. So the funding in, in, in Native situations, in, in Indigenous uh, Native American women, uh, the federal government, according to the, the agreement that they have uh, on reservations throughout the country, are supposed to provide health care. What happens is over time, the funding for those are disappearing. Administration after administration reduces the funding, so there is not much to go around. So sometimes Native women have to go outside of their reservations. Well, what happens when they go outside of their reservations? They are subject to communal and community implicit bias because then there are people there who are perhaps, uh, for want of a better word, have no cultural sensitivity, right? In one situation, one Native woman who later became a healthcare advocate, she went to law school and became a healthcare advocate, said that when she was pregnant, when she showed up for care, they told her that I know you people drink and smoke. That was a stereotype. That's a stereotype because she said she didn't drink and smoke. That's a stereotype, right? So in this case, this woman, Stephanie Snow, agreed to be the, the guinea pig. She agreed to be interviewed based on the level of care that she had been provided by the healthcare facility during her pregnancy. Now, the woman had a pre-existing condition. She had congenital heart disease and was told that getting pregnant again could impact her, her life, right? But she got pregnant anyway, right? So after getting pregnant, uh, she because there were limitations on the care based on budget cut funding, on the reservation, she went to a healthcare facility in the Seattle area, right? Uh, so she said, she told the NBC reporter that she didn't think that she was uh, being treated with any form of implicit bias. So she was due to be delivered three days before she was delivered. She went, she had been complaining for three weeks that she was not feeling well, that she felt tired. Maybe they attributed it to the condition of pregnancy, which for most women who have been pregnant, we know that as the, the, the delivery date approaches, we do tend to feel tired. We, these are the, the factors that doctors look out for because you have to examine what is causing the fatigue. Is the fatigue being caused by just weariness of carrying a person, a whole human being? You're probably just emotionally belted out or whatever. In my case, I was emotionally belted out. You don't want to know. 
fatigue based on the fact that she had a congenital heart disease. Well, three days before she died, actually it was two days before she died, she went for a follow-up check. The doctor didn't see anything wrong, despite the fact that she had been complaining that she wasn't feeling well. They did tell her that they wanted her to be in the hospital. Uh, so she went home and was making arrangements to have her child, her children picked up, have her car parked, and then she went into respiratory uh, uh, distress, right? And they called the ambulance, and they spent 20 minutes trying to revive her. She didn't make it. She was pregnant with twins. So the doctors operated on the twins trying to keep the, her alive. So the twins lived. The twins lived for a week, and then they had to take them off life support. They both died. So she died, and the twins died. It was a problem in that community because people felt like her death was preventable. Because if she had congenital heart disease, why would she be monitored more? If she went into the hospital three days prior to and said, I don't feel well, why did you send her home? Why did you tell her it was okay to go home? She's not here now, so she can't tell us what happened. Why didn't you admit her and say, well, your car is parked. Your car is parked. Call somebody and tell them come pick up the car from the, from the, from the hospital. But you need to be admitted now. This is the difference that they were talking about. This is what implicit bias does. It's all the implicit bias dehumanizes people because it makes people, you don't apply empathy and compassion as you would someone who you are familiar with or someone who looks like you and sounds like you. So somebody who doesn't look like you or sound like you has a problem, you tend to look at them as if they're inhuman, that you have, you find that you have nothing in you that resonates with their condition or feel any kind of empathy. I know that because when I lived in Central Florida, I lived in a predominantly white neighborhood. And one of the neighborhoods that we lived in when my ex-husband was at his most violent, uh, I remember that I worked for a local supermarket. I was a cashier at a local supermarket. I kid you not. I have humble beginnings. We all start somewhere, right? And at the time, being a new immigrant, job opportunities are not open. People don't want to hear about your experience in another country. They don't want to hear about your experience here. I also didn't realize that I was also in the wrong place because of, of, of racism and so on. I should have thought about those things, but I wasn't aware of that. You see how implicit bias works? And I remember uh, one day I went to work, and it was my ex-husband had beaten me the night before. And I had used makeup to conceal the black and blue bruise around my, my face, around my eyes, and on my cheek. I think it was, I think it might have been, he was, he was right-handed. When he hit me, he used, he used this hand, so it would have landed on this side of my face. And he, um, when I got to work, I was a cashier, and a woman walked up to me, a white woman walked up to me, and she said, my God in heaven, why are you here? Why is he locked up? I'm rude to beat you. And I was so terrified. And she went to the management, and she said, why do you have this woman working out here knowing that she's being beaten up, and you all are not doing anything about it? And the manager called me and asked me, and I said, yeah, but I don't know what else to do. My family don't live in the area. They did nothing. They didn't call the police. They didn't do anything. Because I was perceived to be, I am a person of a different ethnicity and race, 
they didn't see that's their problem. This wasn't the first time I had walked in with black people. That's why it didn't face me. I walked in there with it all the time. They didn't see that as anything that warranted any kind of help. As a matter of fact, I had to leave that job because my ex-husband used to uh, come there and park outside looking to see if I were leaving or something like that. And eventually their security, the, the manager told me I couldn't work there anymore because he felt that I was, you know, in a, in, a, in a place where I could have caused a security problem. I could do not. True story. I don't even know how I remember that. Because my therapist said that some of the memories I are suppressed to protect me so I don't remember. Right? But that was a clear case of implicit bias. Now, if I were a white girl, I guarantee you they would have called the cops and had him hauled out of his house and locked up. But because there was no... I remember the manager. I remember him standing there, and I remember thinking, are you a man? How come you have no sympathy for a woman who looks like me? And it's because of implicit bias. If the unconscious stereotype that he has is she's not valuable. She's not someone whom I can relate to. So it affected the way that I was treated. And I remember telling myself, I don't want to lose this job because it gave me reprieve from the violence in my home. At least for a couple of hours per day, I would be away from it. And that same woman who stood up for me, she empowered me in a way because I felt that I had to do something. So it spurred me into action. I called someone and said, I can't do this anymore. I need some help. And I called a friend who was brave enough to come. Then my ex-husband went to her and threatened her. If she interfered in his life, he was going to call the police. And so her husband told her, don't talk to me anymore. So I was left alienated and alone. Uh, All four women suffered. Now, at the time, all women, yes, all four women suffered. Even even women who are not poor, like I told you about in the case of Serena Williams, but even at that time, you wouldn't consider me poor because my net worth was such. You know, you had property, you had money in the bank, you had income, so you weren't. Uh, we were above the, the, the uh, federal poverty guidelines, way, way above. Believe me, the, the government didn't think I was poor at the time, right? But it goes to show how implicit bias works. You see what I'm saying? And I I had that memory suppressed. I'm sorry to tell you about it. It might make you uncomfortable, but uh, it, it, it does happen. And when it happens, it does affect the delivery. I'm sorry, I'm moving, right? It affects the delivery of care that people are subjected to. And I'm, I'm talking about it because I feel some level of empathy and sympathy for this woman. Uh, and for the family, because she's gone, the babies are gone. This happened in 2019, in August 2019. So she's gone, the babies are gone, but the memory still lives. Now, has the family pursued a case against the healthcare provider? No, they're still dealing with the grief. I imagine within a year or so, when things, you know, calm down a little bit, they're probably going to think about it. Because if you think about it, what happened? Right? What happened? I mean, something must have happened. She went in to the healthcare provider. They examined her. Why didn't you admit her? And, and check this out. She didn't go into a into a clinic. She actually went into a hospital. So her doctor, the delivery of 
the OBGYN was telling me all these years ago, that when women come in, they're treated and scorned. He said, literally, he has had to talk to people about how they treat people. They scorn them. So he became known as the man who loved black women. I think I was married to a, to a, to, to a woman from his, you know, a German lady. He's white. She's white. You know what I mean? And he said they, they. He said he couldn't understand just because he was human. And he said it might have had something to do with the fact that he came from Europe, or he said it was just something that he said people are sick. He said I went into medicine to help people who are sick. And I tell you that man, he that man had to. He retired. He said I can't deal with the bureaucracy anymore. I can't deal with the foolishness anymore. He said I spent my entire career doing this. He's like. I'm a doctor forever day. He went with doctors without orders. It's, and he's happier. If you were to see him, oh my God, he's slender, tall. He looks 20 years younger after all the bureaucratic stuff is dropped off. He said, enough is enough. Enough was enough, right? But it made me think about how this impacts the delivery of care. And I suspect that we're drawing attention to maternal mortality because maternal mortality shouldn't happen. Let me tell you why. Uh, let me tell you why maternal mortality shouldn't happen. In the last year's studies, 700 women in America died in pregnancy and childbirth. We shouldn't have that in a developed country, right? Black women are three to four times more likely to die than white women. Native American women are two to three times more likely to die than, than, than white women. And one of the things that we found in the studies, that I read in the studies, that one Native woman who uh, is Native American and white, she said that if she identified as white, it completely revolutionized the level of care that she's given. So if she goes to one health care provider and identifies as white, she gets a different kind of care. It didn't matter whether she's poor or not. This is what we're talking about. It has nothing to do with socioeconomics. It has nothing because Serena Williams went into, a, into an expensive hospital and she was still treated like garbage, not because she doesn't have money, but because of the color of her skin. That's what we're talking about when we talk about these stereotypes, implicit bias. It's simply based on unconscious stereotypes that have nothing to do with the person. It's how we've been socialized to believe about people. And this is impacting, when it starts impacting your health, it hurts your money. And we're all mad about it. Why? But when it starts impacting something like healthcare, where we go to the doctor and the hospital when we are most vulnerable. And this explains why a lot of people, even when they're sick, even when they know something is wrong, will not go into the hospital because they know they're going to be mistreated. You see where I'm coming from? People know that there is the likelihood of being left behind, the likelihood of being overlooked. You know, you have people like me. I go in there and I start looking at the people, the people who are about to deliver care, and I speak up. I am here because I feel so and so. I want you to know I'm human and I'm here. Make sure you deliver good care to me. That's my attitude. Otherwise, you're going to hear about it. So don't give me some sucky care because you have some unconscious stereotypes that I'm because we're not the same. 
Do you see what I'm saying? That's my attitude. We're not on the same level here. We don't have the same background. <laughs> right? Because if you don't, then they walk all over you. They treat you like garbage. And a test that could save your life. They could run a diagnostic test that could save your life. They might overlook because they assume, like the woman in the story, that because you are Native American, you are most likely to drink and smoke. Uh, can I just be honest with you? White people use drugs at the same rate that black people do, if not more. There are more white people in the population. White people use drugs just the same. White people drink just the same. There is no such thing that black and brown people use drugs more than white people. That's a lie. Matter of fact, one study in New York City showed that uh, white people uh, use drugs at the same rate that black people do, 10%. Yes, black people are the ones who are typified as being prolific, proliferous drug users more than anybody else in the population. That's that's not true. White people drink just as much as black people do. We all have stuff. We all do stuff. You see what I'm saying? We all uh, are, are equally uh, game and are most likely to do these things. However, when you go into the healthcare facility, it doesn't matter if this is a poor white girl who is a single mother with three kids. As long as her skin is white, she's going to get better care than a black person who walks in. That's implicit bias. And it is contributing to death, to, to mortality rates, to uh, maternal mortality rates. I do believe that it's also contributing to diagnoses and other situations in healthcare settings. They probably overlook you and not diagnose you from five years before because they don't care. I worry every time I go to a mammogram, I'm always asking questions. Do you see anything? Because I don't want to find out that you did see something, but uh, you're not going to tell me or you don't, because you don't care who she I don't care about her. So I'm very particular about that. Do you see where I'm coming from now that I know? I'm like, I ask questions. I said, do you see anything? I try to be nice to people, but I'm like, if you see something, tell me before you tell the doctor. No, I'm like, you, you will tell me. If I were white, you would tell me. You tell me. I just ask questions straight up. I remember the last time I went to do a mammogram and I said that, and the, the technician was uncomfortable. I said, you're uncomfortable. I said, that's my life you're playing with. I said, I just want to know. If you see something, let me know. Don't wait for my doctors to tell me. I want the thing to be expedited so I can go to make arrangements so that I have a family. I have children. I have people who are dependent on me. Do you see where I'm coming from? Speak up. And I'm saying this to all of us. We're a community and we're a family, right? You're my family. Because if you were to come on my Twitter feed and tell me whether you're, I don't care what you look like. I don't care. You are part of my group, my community, right? You know I would stand up for you either way. You know that, right? So if you were to DM me or come on my Twitter to hear that I'm experiencing this issue in this area, what do you think? You know, you know I would go to the bat for you. You know I would, I would address the situation, right? And I'm going to address it until you get uh, a redress on it, right? Well, I hope somebody will do that for me. I am trying to speak for people who are voiceless. I'm trying to speak for people who don't have a voice. People who uh, don't know how to speak up for themselves or who have been so uh, disenfranchised, is a kind way to say that, that they don't feel that speaking up is going, they're going to be heard. They don't feel that 
because they've been so demoralized that they don't feel that a society is going to pay attention to what they say. This is why a lot of these things continue. When some of these women have died in childbirth, the family does not speak up because they feel demoralized. They, they absorb the attitudes from the society that said, well, she was nobody, she was this, she was not that, blah, 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 blah. Every human life is worth something. Right? Do you know they'll pick up a homeless person off the street, pick them up, clean them up, put them together? Because human life is valuable. You, you know, I, I, I don't like to think that we don't value human beings. Because I look at myself and I'm like, I wouldn't like to think that's how you think about me or my children, that we're not valuable. Just because I look different. And I saw different from your common experiences and your commonalities doesn't mean that I don't hurt and it doesn't mean that I don't experience disappointment. You know what I'm remembering? Uh, to show this, <laughs> I remember when I lived in Central Florida, when I was going for the divorce, my ex-husband, the, 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 the judge, was someone whom I told my ex-husband to vote for because I liked to pass on. That happens to be the same judge I appeared before when my ex-husband was calling me names. And my, the judge took up for my ex-husband. He was a white man. He took up for my ex-husband. Yeah? And I, I, I had to defend myself because the, the city attorney, she didn't speak up. I don't know if she was intimidated by the judge or she was operating on what I now know, know as implicit bias, that I didn't have feelings that was nobody. She didn't speak up for me. So in her absence of defending me, they agreed. I had to defend myself. And after a while, her supervisor had to say, the defendant is defending herself more than we are. She's capable of defending herself. I didn't think that was necessary, but that's what you're supposed to do. My class is speak for you today. You're not doing this. Now I have to defend the judge to the extent where the judge has to be recused because I, I, I pointed it out that you are defending the man who beat me up and you are helping his attorney to advance against me and the police report right here said that he beat me up and then I didn't respond to him. I didn't defend myself with him by slapping him back or I was beaten. The judge had to recuse himself because the city attorney who was sitting there who is, who, was, who is white, did not defend me. That was a clear case of implicit bias. You see, you know, when I say that my therapist is right, I, I suppress my memory so that I can, I, you know, I can deal with it. Maybe I should go back and look up those cases and go deal with that. But it is true. That was the clear. If I were a white girl, my husband would not have the time of day to stand in court. He would have been locked up with a key thrown away. But I, because of my color, I was nobody. Didn't matter that I lived in the same neighborhood as they lived in. Didn't matter that I had a mortgage just like they did. Didn't matter that I drove better cars than they did. Lived in the same neighborhood, had more network than they probably had. All the network was probably on a credit card. My name was live and direct. Do you see what I'm saying? Implicit bias had nothing to do with my money. It had everything to do with the color of my skin. And I didn't understand it or realize it until much later. See, by the time I figured it out, you know what happened. 
I complained to the Bar Association of Florida. And you know what happened after that. There were tensions dropped. Right? So we have to be vigilant. And, and this vigilant, you know, somebody said, this vigilant is tiring. And I'm like, yeah, but the day you drop that is the day you're walked over. Is the day you could die. It's the day when it's something terrible. And it doesn't matter who you are. I have friends across the spectrum, you know. I have friends who work at higher levels of law enforcement and higher levels of government and higher levels of, 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 of corporations. Everybody is subjected to this. And it is not fair. Because just think about it. That city attorney, she was, to me, the difference between my ex-husband coming back home that night and further beating me up, perhaps even killing me, and she did not stand up to defend me. I had to defend myself in a courtroom in Seminole County, Florida, in Sanford, where Trevor Martin was killed. Yeah, that place. I know I didn't know Trayvon wasn't a thing then. I didn't know, right? We relied on a realtor who sold us a house there. She could have told us. But my ex-husband was looking for somewhere remote where he felt he could manipulate me and alienate me, right? And so that city attorney contributed. So if, if, if had it had not been for the intervention and the grace of God, I would not have emerged from that situation alive. That's what saved me, the grace of God. I kid you not. Suddenly, by the time I walked out of that courtroom that day, I had an advocate uh, in my service who introduced me to a network of people. And by the time you know that I got introduced to a lawyer who helped me to uh, secure my freedom so that I wasn't beaten within an inch of my life. Right? <laughs> this is why I'm talking about this, maybe because it's personal. If it, it, it had not happened to me, before I go, let me tell you the story. I've never talked about it, and I hope my daughter doesn't hear it. She's now 17. I was pregnant, and my tummy was huge. And I was going to the doctor, and I remember some of the questions they asked about my socioeconomics and so on. I didn't realize that I remember going back home and telling my ex, and he was very troubled by it. He was troubled by those questions. He's like, why do they want to know how much money we make? Why do they want to know? We lived in a middle-class uh, neighborhood that was a solid middle-class neighborhood, right? And when we, when I was huge, my tummy was big. I Apparently, I tend to have big babies. Well, they were more concerned about testing me for high blood pressure and diabetes uh, based on my ethnicity than they were about anything else. And I remember when they asked for nutrition, like, what do you eat? I remember saying, why are you so curious about what I eat? Uh, and, just, and, and the doctor said, well, we just want a guy to know what your nutrition is. I said, do a blood test. And it will tell you if I've ever been anemic, because I've never been anemic or had any of those, or, or had anything like that. I, 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 I put, you know, I'm a fairly healthy person. And I kid you not, I was hugely pregnant. Well, towards the end of the pregnancy, like about 
three weeks in, three weeks before the baby was due, my ex kept saying, that belly is too big. Your belly is too big. But I kept gaining weight. I was hungry all the time because she was, the baby was apparently always hungry. They kept measuring me and telling me that the baby was going to be, based on my previous daughter's birth weight, was eight pounds. Well, by the time I was ready to give birth, she was big. You know how I now can talk about it? I could have died in childbirth. At the time when I was ready to give birth, they discovered that my birth canal was too narrow for the baby's head to come through. This is why I'm in the throes of childbirth. This is why I've never had children again. I was, I'm ter- I was terrified. I was terrified, right? And that because the baby's head was bigger than the, the, my birth canal, they feared that I would have lost my life. Nothing they could do. It was so late. The nurse who was in the delivery room, the labor nurse, was black. She was terrified. She called all the leading doctors in the hospital. There ended up being a, a neurologist, a pediatric neurologist, a pediatric anesthesiologist. They thought when the baby, by the time the baby came out, she would have been brain dead. They expected, they had their lawyers standing outside the delivery room expecting that there would have been a lawsuit that I would have filed because, they, guess what? They did not take care of me based on my size and based on the size of my belly. They should have done more due diligence in examining me to see that the baby was bigger and do a C-section instead of having a live natural birth. But for the grace of God, I'm here today to live to tell the story. Can you believe it? I lived because of the grace of God. The baby was born. When she came out, she was blue, almost turquoise, because she had had no oxygen for a prolonged period of time. She could have been impaired. I'm going to go hunger when I see her later, when I remember this. That was a clear case of implicit bias. Because of the color of my skin, it didn't have anything to do with my socioeconomic. I probably had more net worth at the time than the doctor or anybody else. But see, their implicit bias was suggesting that I could not be financially better off. So they judged me based on my color instead of who I am as a person. So even if they were to look at it socioeconomically, I lived in better neighborhoods than the people who were some of the people who worked there. But they didn't look at that. That didn't matter. All that mattered was this. It was in the in childbirth, my ex was, you can well imagine, he was livid. When they told him the circumference of the baby's head and the circumference of my birth canal, I could not for about two months. That man, oh, he, he just kept looking at the baby. He, he, he would hold her and say, oh, my God. But by the grace of God, that was a lie. Now you know why the story is like that. Now you know why I had to tell the story and I had to talk about it. Luckily, by the grace of God, that's all I can say. She's now 17, almost 18. She still has a big head. Yeah, we call her big headed. She's bright. She has a bright future. Uh, she wants to study medicine. I guess when she heard me talk about these stories, she was like, oh, my God. But as soon as I see her today, I'm going to go hug her because I remember what it felt like. Life 
So today being Valentine's Day, we're talking about this. If you're a guy, the woman who gave birth to your children, go hug her. Text her, tell her, I appreciate you. I love you for what you did. The woman who carried you, if she's still alive, the woman who gave birth to you, tell her it's Valentine's Day, but I love you more than you know. Tell her, I appreciate you. That your sister who has given birth to your nieces and nephews whom you adore, your sister-in-law, your cousins who have given birth, your friends at work whom you have given birth, tell them, I so appreciate you and I'm so grateful for your life and your contribution to my life. You brighten my day. Any woman today who you encounter who is pregnant, tell her, can I just bless you? Can I just shake your hand? Can I just touch you and wish you well? Because it is so fragile. If by the grace of God, I could have died. I didn't have to be here. This is Harry Camus down to earth. I just want to thank you so much <laughs> for allowing me to tell my story to you. I love you. Thank you for your continued support. And today's Valentine's Day, from my heart to your heart, hold the love. Let's just shed love today. Spread love. Love, love, love. Let's spread love for Valentine's Day. I look forward to seeing you on Sunday. We're going to talk about love. <laughs> right? And I look forward to seeing you next week. Continue to support my podcast by going to Anchor FM, as well as go to my website, HarryCamus.com. Tell everybody about this. Can you just share this for me? Can you share this with other women? And tell the women in your life how much you love them. The woman who gave birth to your children and the one who gave birth to you. Tell her you love her. Right? I love you. See you later. Bye. Be blessed, everybody. Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kid's PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.